Okay, tonight, as we go forward in First Chronicles, we're going to pick it up in chapter 26, and we're really bringing this book into completion in the next couple of weeks, and we're, the attention of the book at this point is the reign and the chronicles of the time of David, the great King David, and we've been looking at him for a couple of weeks, and we get more of things related to this great king who ruled over God's people in the Old Testament in that covenant that God made with Israel. He was their second king. He was an incredible king, and it's about 1000 BC. And in many ways, as we've seen, he's a type of Jesus. And there's so much we get out of his life. And tonight, as we go forward, we're going to read about all these people again that were associated with him during this great reign of the great King David for the nation of Israel there in the Old Testament. And so we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 26, and we read as follows. Now, concerning the division of gatekeepers of the Korathites, so these were Levites who were in charge of opening the gates of the city night and day for the ministries of the people and, and whatnot. So these are the gatekeepers of the Korathites, Meshelamiah, the son of Kor of the sons of Asaph. And the sons of Meshelamiah were Zechariah, the firstborn, Jediel the second, Zebediah the third, Japhniel the fourth, Elam the fifth, Jehonahan the sixth, Eliahonai the seventh. Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom were Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nethaniel the fifth, Ameliel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Puthai the eighth. For God blessed him. Also, Shimei his son, two Shimei his son were, were born, uh, those, the sons who born governed their father's house, because they were men of great ability. The sons of Shemaiah were Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzabad, whose brothers Elihu, Shemakiah, were able men. All these were the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men with strength for the work, 62 of Obed-Edom. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 9. And Meshlemiah had sons and brethren, 18 able men. Also, Hosah, the children of Mawari, these are also divisions of the tribe of Levi, and this is their duties, had sons. Shimri the first, for though he was not the firstborn, his father made him the first. Hilkiah the second, Tebaliah the third, Zechariah the fourth, all the sons and brethren of Hosah were 13. Among these were the divisions of the gatekeepers, among the chief men having duties, just like their brethren, to serve in the house of the Lord. And they cast lots for each gate, the small as well as the great, according to their father's house. The lot for the east gate fell to Shelemiah. Then they cast lots for the son of Zechariah, a wise counselor. And his lot came out for the north gate, to Obed-Edom, the south gate, and to his sons, the storehouse. To Shufim and Hosea, the lot came out on the west gate, with the Shalketeth gate on the ascending highway, watchmen opposite watchmen. On the east were six Levites, on the north four each day, on the south four each day, and for the storehouses two by two. As for the Pabar, which evidently was a courtyard, on the west there were four on the highway and two at the Parbar. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the sons of Korah, among the sons of Merari. Now, as we've been going through Chronicles, we get these stretches with names and responsibilities. And we just, last week, we had a bunch of names. And if you recall, David had organized, in the very end of his life, he organized the priestly service, those who did the animal sacrifices, 
in the groups of 24, sequence of 24. Then he organized thousands of worship leaders in a sequence of 24, and they would have been parallel to each other, and they were running on a lunar calendar, which is a 48-week calendar. So they would have double service in the course of a year, these groups. So it is super organized, super diligent, a great plan on how to have efficiency in ministry. And remember, David had consolidated the worship to Jerusalem. Joab took Jebus, and they made it the capital for the king, the city of David. They brought the Ark of the Covenant there. That's when David was dancing before the Lord. Eventually, after the plague, they, they, they made the offering, and the plague was stopped, and that became the altar of the Lord. And that's where the temple was going to be built, which we're going to see in the future as Solomon builds this temple when we get into Second Chronicles. So these, this is that background. And now we're just reviewing key elements of David's administration, this great king and all these things that happened. And as we go through these gatekeepers, they're like, they're like security at worship generation. When you, know, when you walk through the door, there's, we have security here. We have, you know, Jordan's here to my left protecting me. And we have security placed around the church, people that are well-trained. We've done training for our, our leadership and ministry, emergency training, we, you know, we're, you know, we have people that have their heads on a swivel, right? Like, so we have people who are here every service, and their job is to have their head on a swivel. They're like the watchmen or the watchwomen. That's what they are. And that's what these gatekeepers were. They, they would see the people coming in and out of the city and be like, dude, that's, all we know, like, I ask a guy, oh, that woman's a great woman. She's awesome. Her kids are doing great. Everyone's great. And they're like, that's a sketchy dude. Who's that guy? I've never seen that guy before. Uh, someone go talk with that guy. He said, he's from Naphtali, but he does, his accent sounds like Syrian. You know? Like, so these watchmen, that's what they did. That was their job. They weren't just there facilitating worship. They were protecting the flock as watchmen. You know, they're, they're the gatekeepers. When you're besieged by Nebuchadnezzar and those guys, you close the gates. You close the gates to protect the people. So that's the context. And I want to draw your attention to Obed-Edom. If you recall when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and they're having the party and they're all singing praise songs, Uzziah grabbed the wheel of the cart when it buckled and the, the Ark and all that, and he was struck down by God. They should have been carrying all the poles. We studied all that. They weren't carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was that treasure chest, if you will, the Ten Commandments in it that represented God's presence of the people. They weren't carrying it properly the way he said in his word to carry it. They had it on a cart. So... The cart, the wheel stumbled, they touched it, and they're struck down. It represented God's holiness, Christ coming to be the mediator and to make a way, and they violated that, and they're struck down, so the party was over. So they took the ark to Obed-Edom's house, and the ark was at Obed-Edom's house for a couple of months, and they were prospering. The word came back to David, dude, Obed-Edom's thriving right now, like he's got blessings upon blessings, because David left the ark saying, who can stand before the Lord, and God's angry, and David was angry, and and he's like, well, I don't even know what to do right now. And David, you know, was, took it personal and it was upset. And they're like, hey, Obed-Edom's like thriving. The Ark of the Covenant's a good thing when it's God's thing, God's way. So Obed-Edom was blessed. We're already told he was blessed because he was blessed by the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant was there. But here we're told again he was blessed. Obed-Edom is we're told twice he's blessed. In his life in general, he's blessed with eight male sons in an agricultural society. He had eight healthy sons, and we're told that God, for God, blessed him. Now, we know through Jesus Christ, we're all blessed of the Lord. The moment we give our life to Christ, we are receiving the blessings of God, the grace of God, the mercies of God, and the promises of God for our life. 
So we get all those blessings, but whether or not we appropriate them and apply them to our life is a whole other thing. But they were, he was blessed. And here what's cool about this text is we see three generations of blessings because he's blessed, his son is blessed, and the son's sons, who are his grandsons, we're told they're men of, because they govern their father's house because they're men of not just ability, but great ability. And we're told not just once they're able men because we've seen some of these applications going through this book or skilled men or able men. It says they were able men. They were able men and they had strength for the work. So just in case we're in a hurry reading through this, which we're not, God's making sure we don't miss, like, this is an amazing family, three generations, Obed-Edom, his son, and his grandsons. They're all able, they're capable, God has blessed him, they're all fruitful, they're governing, and they're, they have great ability. So we have this topic again of greatness and great ability. Ability is an interesting thing, because there's different types of ability, right? Like, God gives everyone different talents and placements on planet Earth, and we might assess what we think someone's abilities are or aren't. Some abilities are very obvious. Some are, like, maybe not as obvious. When you have multiple kids, you can kind of gauge what one strength might be with one kid versus another kid and whatnot. You can have two children, and one runs slow and one runs fast. So you'd say this one has, they can run faster. You could have two, four children and two athletic and two are not as athletic. You could have six children and three are very smart. They learn foreign languages fairly easy, musical instruments. They can play the cello. They can speak Mandarin. And the other one is like me doing Duolingo, trying to figure out how to say past tense conjugations in Spanish. After five years, you just put the white flag up. Everyone just says, it doesn't mean that I can't use my mind in a higher capacity. It just means I don't have the same strengths of someone who can naturally learn multiple languages like my son Luke. It just, that's how it works. It just, it's just different. So when we think about abilities, and I'm thinking about you right now, your life, God has given all, all of us different abilities. They can be athletic abilities, uh, mental abilities, uh, musical gifts, organizational skills. Like some people just look at something and they see how to resolve it. And some people look at it and it just becomes more complicated to them. They might be the best athlete in the room, but they, they, they can't play quarterback because more than four plays is more than that's three more plays than they're capable of running. It's just interesting how God gives different abilities. But what, what the Lord really emphasizes in his word is not so much the ability given to us, but what we do with it. That's the key. So when you think about the various abilities, we need to think about what are my talents and what are my strengths? What are my passions and what are my interests? That's a good place to start, especially if you're in your 60s. So what are my talents and my strengths? What are my abilities? We're not riding off in the sunset to roll over and die. We're rising up to rise into glory. So what are those abilities and what are those strengths? What, how is God leading me? But what are my abilities that God's given me? What are my strengths? And then also when you think about abilities, you think about you can sort of rate abilities. Like you can say like, oh, you know, the level of ability. Brandon, Pastor Brandon, has taught coaching for years, and he teaches little kids beginning to surf at Salt Creek, and he's, he's coached the very best junior surfers in the world, winning a gold medal at the World Junior Championships with Team USA. He's a world champion coach, as am I. Now, we were coaches together, but we didn't win gold together. I won gold the year before we were together. We won silver together, and the year after I retired, he won gold with Brett Simpson. But Brandon can look at kids surfing and he can assess their ability pretty quickly where they stand, you know, in where they're at in a skill level, in a comfortable skill level. So you could say, this kid has below, below average ability. 
This kid has average ability. Haley with soccer, the same thing. You, you just, Kimberly with softball. You, you know, uh, you business people, you get, yeah, they, they could run, they could run the shoe department. Like, no, they can't, they can sell shoes. That's what they can do. Like, you can assess their ability. So you, you can say, like, they have below average, average, above average, or excellent ability. Like, excellent ability. So the question is, what are our abilities that God's given us? And then the second question is, to what extent are we using those abilities? Are we below average or average, above average or excellent? Because it says right here, they had great ability. Great ability. If it's Little League Baseball, that means all-stars. Okay? That's great ability. If it's high school sports, that's all-league first team. Great ability. If it's great ability in music, that means you got a musical scholarship and you're headed to a big school to do music, right? Like, great ability is a hot, if that's what you're looking at. Now, let's think about this. Since God really assesses us or, or encourages us and exhorts us to, to do everything we do, you know, for the glory of the Lord and as unto the Lord, because we're told in Colossians, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. So we know there's an exhortation from the Lord, from the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, that whether people appreciate it or not, what we do, we pursue to do with excellence is unto the Lord. Husband, dad, mom, mother, uh, wife, mother, coffee shop assistant employee, coffee shop manager like Luke was at one time at Starbucks, uh, low man on the totem pole at Hyundai, rising up at Hyundai, whatever you're, whatever, Timmy driving the ship, whatever it could be, like that, that what is it and, and where, do we, where do we come at and, that, and what do we do with it? Now we're doing it unto the Lord. Because ultimately, the praise of men comes and goes, but the reward from the Lord's for all eternity. And so the real thing that we want to focus on is that we're giving our best effort, not because people say thank you or they recognize it in appreciation, but simply we're giving our best effort because this is a talent God's given us and ability he's given us and we're doing it unto the Lord and we want to make sure we maximize it for the glory of the Lord. This was absolutely applicable whether you're free or slave in first century Rome. Because in the same passage, it talks about masters and servants, so basically bosses and employees, because really we're all still slaves or masters in, in, in a one way or another in the real working world. You understand that. And so 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit said, hey, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. That's who we're trying to impress, the Lord. And we're doing it for his glory. Let your light shine before men. And these guys had great ability, and it's shown for the Lord. So I'm going to leave you with this couple of thoughts here. Because really, it, it, the ability you start with is one thing, but what you do with it is another. We don't want to come up short with the, the abilities God's given us for his purposes. So once we sort of evaluate what those things are that are interested in our abilities, and we think about okay, what level am I at? What level has God called me to go to? The way you're going to get better is to educate yourself in your ability. The way I got better at understanding real estate is studying real estate. The way I got better at understanding property management was reading books on property management, listening to podcasts on property management, studying the market, studying strong markets, weak markets. Just success leaves a trail. And all you have to do is look at anyone that's been successful, what your talents are, and then reverse engineer it, come backwards, and say, how do they do it? You just follow the trail. Success leaves a trail. You know, I, I studied Oprah Winfrey recently. I mentioned, you know, she's the first black billionaire in U.S. history. Her success trail is easy to follow. 
25 years with a TV show, her quotes, what she, hey, if that was what you wanted to do, she, there's a trail of success you can follow and see how she did it. If you want to be an entertainer, it's, it's all there on the various bios that you can read in different places. But the first thing you got to do is study things. So as I'm working on a foundation, I've been studying foundations. I read the book on foundations. I've studied other foundations. I know more now, much more than I ever did about foundations and nonprofits because I studied. I learned more. I got better at dancing because I studied dancing. Hip-hop, top rock, b-boy, popping, locking, shuffling. I studied, I practiced, and I, some things I can do and a lot I can't. But I did my homework. In writing a book, before I ever began to write my book, I studied people who wrote books. I watched their YouTubes. I wrote down their 12 tips for writing a good book and being a good storyteller. So think about your skills or whatever God's calling you to do and think, how, how, what do I need to learn that will make me better at what I'm called to do with my talents and skills for the Lord? Educate yourself and get better. Because it's out there in the information age. It's out there and it's so accessible. I do these studies of people, and I learn something from people every week. H.L. Hunt, I learned so much studying H.L. Hunt, the oil tycoon. I learned a ton from Oprah Winfrey. She's got so many good quotes, it's amazing. But, and you learn from these people, and you can apply certain principles you might get from their life for Jesus and his call on your life. Then you also have the preparation, because see, once you, be, once you educate yourself to develop your skills and your talents, then you come up with a plan, what it's meant to be and how they're supposed to be used. So you do your homework and you come up with a plan. So I've educated myself. Now I have a plan to go forward with these skills and talents as unto the Lord. The, the motive is always glorifying Jesus Christ and eternal fruit. That's always the motive. But you figure out how to get better at what you're doing, and you learn from people who are extremely successful at it with those skills and talents. Then you put together a plan that will help you be successful at it, and you, you know, the, the POA, plan of action, the next thing, TNT, the most important thing, MIT, and you start, you get going. You got to get going. You got to start somewhere, and you figure out a plan. See, the key is knowing your destination. Don't worry about the details. Get your destination and just start going in that direction, and then you make adjustments. I've been working on this book for seven months. I just finished the, finished the ninth edit yesterday. There's a tenth edit going on this week. It's getting closer. You know how many times God's adjusted this? Hey, drop that, add this, expand that, retract that. Hey, split it into the dream, beyond the dream. 16 chapters, I had 20, bring it back this way. Like, it's an amazing process. So you educate yourself, you have a plan, and then you make adjustments in the plan. Who wants to write a sloppy book? Do you? Who wants to do a sloppy job for the Lord? Do you? If you're serving coffee, serve it to the glory of Christ. If you're a school teacher, show up early and be a great teacher. Whatever it is, do it with excellence. That's what these guys did. So you, you do your education on how you can do better, then you prepare yourself for the plan, and then probably the most important thing is you're determined to see it through. So you have education, preparation, determination. You have to be determined. Only you can decide whether you sell yourself short with your gifts and callings from the Lord and what he's called you to do. Only you can decide to sell yourself short for all eternity by wasting your life and time. Only you can choose to be the best you can be with the skills and talents God's given you for his glory in this one brief vapor that we call life. Only you can do it. If I've learned anything in life, only you and you alone, and I'm the man in the mirror for me, can 
See it through to be the best we can be with excellence, whatever God's called us to do. And what we put in is exactly what we're getting back. I still get dividends from my surfing career from the 80s. I'm looking for dividends from 2020 to 2040 when I'm in eternity right now. But you know, I gave everything to pro surfing for 10 years, and I'm in the International Surfing Hall of Fame, and I'm being inducted in the San Diego Surfing Hall of Fame next month. Those are things I'm being recognized for from the 80s. And I'm going in with Taylor Knox, by the way, my Carlsbad friend, so that's pretty cool. But that's all fading. We're going to glory. And I just the older I get, what you put in is what you get out. And as Thomas Edison said, it's always too early to quit. One thing Thomas Edison said, did he give advice for everybody? It's too early to quit, which means you need to be determined to see it through and keep pursuing it, whatever it is that God's called you to do. All these people do all these great things for temporal stuff. In Jesus' name, let's do excellent things for Jesus' stuff for all eternity. Now we read on, as unto the Lord. Education, preparation, determination. That's just a quick little Joey thing on life right there. Verse 9, excuse me, verse 20. So we read on this. Now, of the Levites, Ahijah was over the treasuries of the house of God, over the treasuries of the dedicated things. The sons of Laden, the descendants of the Gershonites of Laden, heads of their father's house of Laden, the Gershonites, Jehili, the sons of Jehili, Zetham, and Joel's brother were over the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Man, they're over the money. Of the Amramites, the Israelites, and the Hebronites, and the Uzalites, Shabul, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. Oh, that's fascinating detail. Was overseer of the treasuries. And his brethren by Eliezer were Rehabiah, his son, Jeshiah, his son, Joram, his son, Jitri, his son, and Shelemith, his son. This Shelemith and his brethren were over all the treasuries of the dedicated things which King David and the heads of the father's houses, the captains over thousands and hundreds, and the captains of the army had dedicated. It's basically the booty, right? Verse 27. Some of the spoils won in battles they dedicated to maintain the house of the Lord. And all that Samuel, the seer, that is Samuel the prophet, Saul, the first king of Israel, the son of Kish, Abner, the son of Ner, that was Saul's general, and Joab, David's general, the son of Zariah, had dedicated. Every dedicated thing was under the hand of Sholemith and his brethren. Of the Hitzerites, Chenaniah and his sons performed duties as officials and judges over Israel outside Jerusalem. Of the Hebronites, Hashabiah and his brethren, 1,700 able men, had the oversight of Israel on the west side of the Jordan. For all the business of the Lord and in the service of the king. Among the Hebronites, Jerajiah was head of the Hebronites according to his genealogy of the fathers. In the 40th year of the reign of David, that is his last life, WG, or the last year of his life, WG. That is the last year of David's life. In the 40th year of the reign of David, there were sought and there were found among them capable men at Jazer of Gilead. That's the other side of the Jordan River, those eastern tribes, two and a half. And his brethren were 2,700 able men, heads of the father's houses, whom King David made officials over the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh for every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. So in the final year of David's life, he's still, he's getting stuff done. We've been talking about David, how he let go of stuff. You know, we saw that with Solomon in Topic Saturday and even in uh, verse by verse last week. 
But here, think about this. Think about what will we do in the final year of our life? If we're, he was 70. So he's 70 in the final year of his life. And he's like, hey, he's, he's super fruitful with the Lord, has all this incredible fruit. He's built this incredible empire that's, like I said, the equivalent of billions of dollars of wealth by current, any economic standard currently. It's super efficient. He has all these quality people in quality places getting stuff done. It's not perfect, but it's extremely efficient for human government. And he says, hey, man, this is what we need to do. We need, we need some good representation on that side of the river from those two and a half tribes who are a little bit distant. We need to find capable and able men. And look what it says. He sought and he found him. <laughs> if that's not the biblical principle of all time, right? Seeking ye shall find. Right? Well, Jesus said, Matthew 7, 7, seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and will be given unto you. David said, he's like, hey, this is how it works with me. This is how it works with the living God. I seek, I find. This is God's will and plan. We need to find capable men. He sought capable men. He found capable men, and they got the job done. And the truth is, Jesus said it. It's the words of Jesus. If you seek, you will find. So if you're looking for something that God's calling you to do, and you don't quite have the answer, keep on seeking and keep on knocking. And keep on asking. Something easily surrendered was never truly committed to. Like the easiest, you know, like you say, oh, I'm going to commit to this. But when you surrendered so easily, it didn't really matter to you. It didn't really have value. It wasn't really your calling or your, your, your passion or your goal. Because you easily, if you easily release it, that means you didn't profoundly value it. Important things, great things are hard to do, and that's what makes it special when you get them done. If you're seeking the glory of the Lord, if we're seeking the glory of the Lord, and we're seeking the things of the kingdom, and we're seeking to be all that God wants us to be, and we're seeking the will of God on planet Earth as it works in and through our life, He will reveal it to us. It's a walk of faith, it's a journey of faith, but the woman who seeks will find. The young man who seeks will find. The old man who seeks will find. And I hope when the Lord comes back for each one of us on the day of the Lord, when it's our time, that we'll be seeking the Lord for what he wants to do that day, and we'll find it when he shows up in glory to get us as we transcend dimensions. May we be seeking and finding, knocking and opening and asking and answering in our relationship with God till the last day, because he wants us to do that. Nothing is apparent and I speak for these older parents that have adult kids, anytime my adult kids want to involve me in something, like Leah sent me a text today asking prayer for for Zippy. She's been sick the last two days in Florida. Do you know how precious it is when your daughter texts you personally, not in the group family text, personally, and says, Daddy, could you pray for Zippy? She's not been holding anything down for two days. Like, Like, she's seeking and asking from her father to intercede to our father. And I'm like, hey, praying right now with mom. That's, that's earthly parents with earthly kids. The Lord loves it when we seek, knock, and ask. And he loves to show himself strong on behalf of those hearts, those whose hearts are loyal to him. Now we read on. Chapter 27 is David's administrative people. It's his military people. It's the bosses of every tribe. And it's his... Uh, administrators. And so we're going to read through this, and then we're going to get something before we get back, we get onto Solomon.
in chapter 28. So chapter 27, we're not in a hurry, but we're going to read it. We've got one application, and it'll get us to 28. And the children of Israel, according to their number, the heads of their fathers' houses, the captains of thousands and hundreds and their officers, served the king in every matter of military divisions. These divisions came in and went out month by month throughout all the months of the year, each division having 24,000. So yet again, worship generation, David has everything in these number sequences of 24. 12 and 24 are the big numbers with how David managed and governed and set things up for efficiency. Over the first division of the first month was Jeshobim, the son of Zadiel, and his division were 24,000. He was of the children of Perez and the chief of all the captains of the army for the first month. So what David did is he rotated. He had a standing army of 24,000 troops available every month for 12 months, and they rotated in and out of their sequence. So essentially kept everyone ready for military and always had a standing army for an emergency or any threat that might come upon them. Verse 4, over the division of the second month was Dodai and Aharite, and of his division was Mikloth, also was the leader, and his division was 24,000. Now, he's the very top list of David's mighty men, by the way, and some of these men are from David's list of mighty men that we studied earlier, which, of course, would make sense. The third captain, verse 5, of the army for the third month was Benaniah, the son of Jehoiadiah the priest, who was chief, and his division were 24,000. This was... Benaniah, who was the mighty among the 30 and was over the 30, in his division was Amazad, his son. The fourth captain of the fourth month was Asiel, the brother of Joab. Remember, Asiel was killed by Abner in hand-to-hand combat. After Abner said, get away, don't fight me, I'll take you down. And Asiel didn't heed him, and he did fight him. And so Asiel was struck down by, um, by Abner, Saul's uh, general, after Saul was dead. And Zebediah, his son, after him, and his division were 24,000. The fifth captain for the fifth month was Shamoth, the Israelite, and his division were 24,000. The sixth captain for the sixth month was Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekite, and his divisions were 24,000. The seventh captain for the seventh month was Helez, the Pelonite of the children of Ephraim, and his division were 24,000. The eighth captain for the eighth month was Sibkiah, the Hushethite, of the Zarahites, and his division were 24,000. The ninth captain for the ninth month was Abazir, the Anathite of the Benjamites, and his division were 24,000. The tenth captain for the tenth month was Mahari, the Nephathite of the Zarahites, and his division were 24,000. The eleventh captain for the eleventh month was Benaiah, this is a different Benaiah, the Parthenite of the children of Ephraim, and his division were 24,000. The twelfth captain for the twelfth month was Heldiah, the Nephathite of Othniel, and his division were 24,000. Verse 16, furthermore, over the tribes of Israel, now so you have 12 tribes, the officers over the Reubenites were Eliezer, the son of Zikri, over the Simeonites, Shephatiah, the son of Maka, over the Levites, Hashbiah, the son of Kemuel, over the Aaronites, so that's a subdivision of the Levites, Zadok over Judah, Elihu, one of David's brothers. So David had the seven brothers, and brother number three, he put in charge of the tribe of Judah. Over Issachar, Omri, the son of Michael. Over Zebulon, Ishmael, the son of Obadiah. Over Naphtali, Jeremoth, the son of Azrael. Over the children of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Azahiah. Over the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joel, the son of Pediah. Over the half-tribe of Manasseh in Gilead, on the east side of the Jordan River, Edo, the son of Zechariah. Over Benjamin, Zaziel, the son of Abner. Over Dan, 
there in the north, Azrael, the son of Jehoram. These were the leaders of the tribes of Israel. But David did not take number of those 20 years old and under, because the Lord had said he would multiply Israel like the stars of heaven. Joab, the son of Zariah, began a census. That's what we all read about last week. But he did not finish it, for the wrath came upon Israel because of this census, nor was the number recorded in the account of the chronicles of King David. So we've covered the military leadership, and this is... So David organized a leader over each of the 12 tribes and a couple subdivisions, but you might have noticed there's no mention of Gad or Asher, those two tribes in this list. There's actually 13 listed because the variations and the splits on the tribes, no real explanation for that. But we do know from the context that David, when he looked over Israel, he had a leader for each of the tribes representing their tribe, almost like a a governor at a governor's convention. This governor represents California, this one represents Vermont, this one represents Texas, and the 50 get together with the president at a governor's convention, and that's something what it's like. And yet we're reminded again, too, about the census not coming through to completion because of what happened that we read. Now, this last group, these are David's men that were very capable and very competent at what they did. So let's get them. Verse 25, And Asmabeth, the son of Adiel, was over the king's treasuries, and Jehonathan, the son of Uzziah, was over the storehouses in the field, in the cities, in the villages, and in the fortresses. Ezri, the son of Chelob, was over those who did the work of the field for tilling the ground, and Shimei, the Ramathite, was over the vineyards, and Zabdi, the Shifmite, was over the produce of the vineyards for the supply of wine. Bahanan, the Gedorite was over the olive trees and the sycamore trees that were in the lowlands. Joash was over the store of oil, and Shithrai, the Sharonite, was over the herds that, they, that fed in Sharon. And Shaphat, the son of Adlai, was over the herds that were in the valleys. Obil, the Ishmaelite, was over the camels. Jehadiah, the Marathonite, was over the donkeys. And Jaziz, the Hagarite, was over the flocks. All these were the officials over King David's property. Also, Jehonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor, a wise man and a scribe, and Jehiel, the son of Hakmani, was the king's son. Ahithophel, that was the great counselor for David, who committed treason against David and then took his own life, that's Ahithophel, was the king's counselor. And Hushai, the archite, was the king's companion. After Ahithophel was Jehodiah, the son of Benaiah, then Abathar, and the general of the king's army was Joab. So we get this list right here. Now think about this. These are all capable people, and they had to be. David, we see, is very efficient, and he has plans and organization, and he's delegated to people who are capable. And again, kind of going back to the last chapter, that people who build their skills and their talents with the Lord, by the Lord, for the Lord, they rise up. They, they get better. And to, to him who has more is given. There in Luke chapter 19, one of my favorite passages, it's the story of the Minas in Luke's account. It's different than Matthew's account in Matthew 25. But it's clear an example of the day of the Lord and giving account to the Lord. And it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, so we understand that. But the master gives the minas currency, five minas, two minas and one mina, to his servants. The one that has five gets ten, the one that has two gets four, the one that has one buries it. And the fascinating principle for the universe, 
in how God operates his universe is summed up as a whole for all eternity when Jesus says, to him who has, more will be given. Take the one who buried it and give it to the one who has 10. Now, that's fascinating because it shows that like God recognizes for all eternity faithfulness in time and how it impacts eternity. The universe that God's designed is set up for justice and truth and equity. And the cross brings that, but there's still distinction on self-determined ability to obey the Lord or lack of ability or willingness to disobey the Lord. And we just can't get away from that because the Bible tells us, as a man sows, so shall he reap. And the Lord entrusts something to us and we multiply it, we, we do something with it. It brings him pleasure because what is better than to step in eternity and have the Lord say, well done? I mean, well done. Your whole life? Listen to me, body of Christ. Jesus used those words to explain what you can hear in eternity when you go there if you've been faithful in this life. He will look at you and me and he'll say, well done. There is nothing better than a job well done as unto the Lord. And the one that hears well done is the one who took five and got 10. But the most amazing thing about that is not just minus, because the one that had 10 minus is rewarded with 10 cities. Again, it's an earthly story of a heavenly principle. So 10 minus, like 10, they just picture like 10 American eagles, like silver American eagles, or 10, you know, gold bullion coins. It's 10, 10 minus. You had five, you're like, oh, I got 10. You're super successful, industrious. And I was like, that's awesome, good for you. Now here's 10 cities. Because what you learn managing five minus and making ten is what, you, what now you're capable of handling. You passed this test and you were faithful with this thing, so now you get ten cities. You took five minus and made ten minus. You double profit for me. That's the context. And now you get way more than that. You don't get like ten more minus. You get ten cities. Because the person that can manage five minus or ten minus is capable of managing ten cities. And it's been said for the people that manage all the wealth in America, it's basically 3%. You can bring in full socialism and communism. You can put everyone at zero, put everyone back at square one, and we're all equal. The same 3% of people will be running everything in five years because they're faithful with little things, they understand how they work, and they multiply things, and they're faithful with the little, and they get more, and it gets bigger. Again, Pastor Chuck Smith of the Calvary Chapel Movement, faithful. When we didn't seem in Prescott, pastoring that small four-square church, he was faithful even when the boulder rolled down the hill and hit the church. Oops. When he was there in Prescott, not just Prescott, but in Tucson, working at Safeway, raising those small kids, he was faithful. But in all those little things, that compound effect of faithfulness, five became ten, and ten cities. If you look at Pastor Chuck, he pastored small churches in the four-square movement for 20 years. He left behind 2,000 churches worldwide in over 50 different countries with Bible colleges and retreat centers and just an incredible advancement of the kingdom of God. So you see, worship generation, we want to be faithful in the little things and God will multiply that. And as we're faithful, then what he actually does is in that parable, and he did it too in Matthew 25, he takes from the one who was given an opportunity and wasted it and he gives it to someone else who is faithful with it. And that's the way the universe works with the King of Kings. 
in time and eternity. These men were faithful. All these men, verse 31, were the officials over King David's property, and we are stewards of King Jesus' property, our soul, our breath of life, our calling on our life, the talents he's given us, the people he's called us to love and serve, the, where he's placed us in our journey in planet Earth. We are servants of a greater king than King David, and what he's entrusted to us, he's entrusted to us. And we want to be faithful and fruitful with that until he says, we're done. And hopefully we can show him that we multiplied his grace in our life and through our life to other people's lives. Chapter 28. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and his sons, with the officials and valiant men and all the mighty men of valor. So here we go. This is the great finish for King David's life. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you've been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah, that is the tribe of Judah, to be the ruler." And the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord God over Israel. Verse 6. Now he said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever. If he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments, as it is to this day, now therefore in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you. For as for you, my son Solomon, know that the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts And if you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So in this segment of scripture, what David is saying, he's saying it to all the people. And then he's directing it as well, specifically to his son. So this exhortation is for all these leaders and his son. He's stepping into eternity and he's saying, look, we'll compare it to right now. It's 2023. So let's say... Let's just, say I step, let's just say I step into eternity in 2033 when I'm 73. Okay. So if I were looking out over the younger people here, they're 10 years older, and now the grandkids are in their, their tweeners and stuff like that. And, and, and I say, look, I'm a baby boomer, and I'm kind of the last of the baby boomers. And we're going our way, and we're going to glory, and we're going to eternity. And I'm telling you what works on planet Earth and what doesn't work on planet Earth, and what pleases the Lord and what doesn't please the Lord. So you obey his word, trust in Jesus, believe his promises, and know he's coming for you. So be fruitful. It's like us exhorting this, looking two generations ahead and saying, we're leaving planet Earth. You're going to do what you're going to do. But I'm telling you how you should do it and how God, what God will bless and honor so you can be as fruitful in your life as I've been in my life. And that's what I'm telling you. That's what it would be like for us that are older if you just kind of think how you're saying this. So we get the context of David, where he's coming from here. He's lived his life. Hey, what they do with their life and their timeline, that's going to be their business. What he did with his is his business, and he's done. 
We all decide. We all get an opportunity. Verse 11. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its house, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Of the courts, of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers, all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for the dedicated things, also for the divisions of the priests, the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for articles of service in the house of the Lord. He gave gold by weight for things of gold, for all the articles used in every kind of service, also silver for all the articles of silver by weight, for all the articles used in every kind of service, the weight for the lampstand of gold, the lamps of gold by weight for each lampstand and its lamps, for the lampstands of silver by weight, and for the lampstands and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand. And by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread, for each table, and silver for the tables of silver, also pure gold for the forks, the basins, the pitchers of pure gold, and the golden bowls. He gave gold by every weight for every bowl, and for every silver bowl, silver by weight for every bowl, and refined gold by weight for the altar of incense and for the construction of the chariot, the cherubim, the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord has made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord God, of the Lord. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all men of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also, all the leaders of the people will be completely at your command. So what David is saying here, as we wrap up chapter 28, he's saying, look, Solomon, I've set the table for you. I have set you up. It just... The car is well-tuned. Just obey the laws, you know, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to roar for you. He's saying, I did it. It's all there for you. The priests are here to do the work. They're organized 24 by 24, worship leaders, people that handle animal sacrifices. The army is set up for you in groups of 24, sequences, 24,000, groups of 12. The, the tribal leaders, they're, they're all here. It's all there for you. And this work of God is a great work of God. And we could say that there had never been a work of God quite like this work of God. Because what work of God would equal this, the temple being built by Solomon? When he dedicates it, the Lord's presence is going to fall on that dedication. The only thing equals basically the tabernacle being set up in the wilderness 500 years before. This truly is a great work of God. And again, obviously, whatever God's called us to do is our great work of God. But this verse, verse 19, should get our attention. He said... All this the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of the plans. And then he said there in verse 20, until you finished all the work. There was a plan in how the work was to be done. David had sought that plan and received that plan from the Lord. In fact, back in verse 12, he said the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. The text tells us that the plan for the work came from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and we're told in other passages that David was a prophet and he spoke by the Holy Spirit, says that in the New Testament. Here we're told that he received, he couldn't build the temple because he's a man of blood. We read that. But he acquired, he put together all the wealth, he had the plans, and he had all the people supporting Solomon. He set him up for success. The resources, the manpower, and the plan. Like he just, he set him up for success. It was all there. 
And he told him, you just really need to obey the Lord and be faithful to the Lord, and you can be super fruitful. And not only will you prosper, your descendants will prosper after you. A wonderful promise earlier on in this chapter. But this plan is important because he's going to follow this plan. Solomon is going to follow this plan. We were just talking about earlier tonight. You put together a plan. You get a plan, and you have a destination, and then you have a plan to start with it. You're going to this destination, whatever it is, and you, you make adjustments, but you, you know what your target is and where you're headed with that upper call of God in Christ Jesus, and you're moving toward it. But then, you know, you have to flex and pivot, and you have to be flexible and, read, you know, make adjustments. You look at the book of Acts. Paul wanted to go to all the world with the gospel, go where the gospel hadn't been. He gets forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Bithynia. He gets forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into that part of Turkey that they called Asia. And then he has a dream of a man saying, come here to Macedonia, to Europe. And, well, determined it was the Lord. They got on a boat and they sailed to Europe. Like, you, you get a plan and then you, you, you have a destination and you got you to gotta be able to be flexible and adjust to it. But it's important when it's the Lord that we finish that plan. See, you get a plan from the Lord... And we wrap up tonight with that thought we had earlier, well done. Well done means it's done. Because when you move on, you move on. When Lorraine stepped into eternity a few weeks ago, whatever her life was, it was done. That's it. When you move on from your career, that's it. You're done. And it's really important what David is exhorting Solomon here, that you finish the work. That we don't want to come short. Incomplete work is the worst work. Actually, the worst work is a job well done for something that's worthless. That's the worst work. But an incomplete job on a, on a, good, a good calling, a good purpose incomplete, is just almost as bad. We can't fall short. We want to finish well and finish strong in each of the seasons of things God gives us so our life becomes a pattern of finishing well what was entrusted and we keep building and going from glory to glory to all eternity. So WG, I remind us tonight, this last phrase, follow the plan that God gives us, be flexible and adjustable, but by all means, make sure we know what we're moving toward and finish well.